We see promises coming to pass right now. I'm jumping ahead of my notes, but you know, in the Bible it says, Matthew chapter 24, it, it, and I'm not even preaching out of this chapter, but the Lord is showing me something, that in Matthew 24, that whole chapter is talking about Jesus. He's giving indication of the end times. And I believe it's in verse 8 where it talks about how that in certain versions it quotes it as saying that we are entering into the time of sorrows. Other versions say that we are entering into the time of birth pains. And when you study that out, you begin to realize that that is the moment. You, you women that have given birth, birth pains representing that moment prior to the birth of the promise. That scripture, that passage goes on to talk about the great tribulation. And I want to tie all this together for you. In my spirit, what I feel, and I feel like I can support this from scripture, that we are living in a time of great sorrow. I do not say that to discourage you. I'm not trying to jump on the bandwagon there and, and compound sorrow. I say it to encourage you. Are you hearing me? Something is about to be birthed. That chapter goes on to talk about the next thing to come after that is the great tribulation. Well, guess what has to happen before the great tribulation? The rapture. We are close, friends. We may be living in the time of great sorrow. We may be living in the time of birth pains and the pain and the anguish that goes with that. But we are also living in a time of fulfilled prophecy. We're living in a time of fulfilled promise. And I wonder if I can get you to lift your hands all across this place right now. Though you may be going through some hard times. Raise your hands if you're going through some hard times. If, if I could raise my hands and my legs right now, I would do it. We're all in the midst of this. It's a time of sorrow. It's a time of testing. It is a time of anguish. We're, we're not saying that it isn't. But I, I want you to keep your eye focused on what's ahead. The rapture of the church, in my opinion, based on my interpretation of Scripture, is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Be lifted up in your spirit today. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come in this palace of praise and we truly, God, we worship you and we praise you and we glorify you. You're the King of Kings. Father, as I said earlier, you are, we are to worship you in spirit and in truth. Spirit is invisible. We can't see it with the naked eye, but we see fulfilled scripture coming to pass. We see prophecy coming to pass. We see the invisible God doing visible things. And Lord, we love you for that. We praise you, God, in this day and hour, and we glorify you and we lift you up. Father, I pray that you would use this word today to bless your people, to encourage your people in the strong and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. You can be seated. I'm going to get to my scripture reading in just a moment. Those of you that are working the overhead, just two short passages of scripture I'm going to be reading. I, I gave them one, but the Lord gave me another Another verse I'm going to read later on. I, actually, I've been working on this message uh, for some time, and the Lord dropped a theme. He dropped a, a, a title or a theme, whatever you want to call it, into my spirit, and it was just simply this, that time in the wasteland is no waste of time. Time in the wasteland is no waste of time, and I think it'll make sense as I go on with this morning's message. 
I also want to give a praise report today. Uh, most of you know my dad went in a little over a week ago now for a kidney transplant. And many of you have been, been praying about that. He got the kidney. Most of you know that already. He got the kidney. Now we've been waiting on the kidney to start function. And it looks as though it started working yesterday. So we give God praise for that. That is an answered prayer. And I appreciate your prayers. I know he does. And uh, he's obviously in recovery. It'll, it's still quite a process. Uh, if you know anything about transplants, but just keep, keep praying for him, and, and I want to pass on his appreciation to you guys. So again, I want to just tell you that time in the wasteland is no waste of time. I want to give you a couple of statistics and things that I looked up that will hopefully put things in perspective for you. And these are a little bit old statistics. I couldn't really find anything newer. But as of 2016, Israel has one public company per every 12,500 citizens. By comparison, the United States at that time had one public company for every 47,000 people. I'm, I'm going somewhere with these stats. Don't, don't lose me. Israel's economy has been ranked the world's third most innovative just ahead of the United States. Israel, a country of roughly 8 million people, has 17 billionaires and 88,000 millionaires. Of the 500 wealthiest people in the world, nine are Israeli. And the top 50 billionaires in the world, 10 of those are Jewish. God's hand is on his people. Somebody say amen. The reason I bring this up today and put things in perspective is to simply say that God has done unbelievable things for his people in a seeming wasteland. I have been to Israel twice. In certain places in scripture and in certain uh, uh, views of Israel, certain places it's referred to as a desert. Certain places it's referred to as a wasteland. Certain places it's referred to as a wilderness. And truly, if you have ever been there or if you ever go there and you get out of the metropolitan areas and you go into the countryside uh, up in Galilee, it's beautiful. But if you get down into the Judean wilderness, you will truly say this is a wilderness. How can anything productive come out of this land? Frankly, why would anybody even want it? That is actually what Mark Twain the great American author Mark Twain in the 1860s, following the Civil War, decided that he wanted to go to the Holy Land, tour Israel, the Holy Land, before it was ever, you know, commercialized and all that kind of stuff. He went on a trip to Israel, the Holy Land, had all this anticipation of seeing something beautiful and wondrous and, and all of these things that you read about in Scripture. And basically, his interpretation of it was, it is a wasteland. It is a dump. Why would anybody even want to go there? And I'm totally paraphrasing what he said. But in other words, he was saying that this place that seems to be of such value, this place that seems to have such reverence, really is nothing more in terms of the ground, in his opinion, was nothing more than a wasteland. Yet here we are, roughly 150 years later, from his time, uh, the time that he visited, 
to Israel now being the religious center of the entire world. It is the epicenter of the entire world. This small nation of roughly 8 million people has one of the strongest economies in the world. And that only happened since 1948 when God restored the people to the nation of Israel, to their homeland, and God just put his hand of blessing upon them and things have exploded for them to the good in terms of their blessing and in terms of their wealth. They are an economic powerhouse in their region. So you say, okay, Josh, you're giving us these stats. You're giving us all of these things. When are you going to get to the scripture? Well, let me just say this. God can take something barren in your life. God can take something unsettled. He can take something devastated. He can take something that is uninhabitable because that's basically what Mark Twain said about that region is that you, you can't even live there. It's so barren. Who, who would even want to try and scratch out a living? That was his interpretation of what he saw. You go to Israel and it is an arid place. It was unsatisfying, but God can take something that is barren and unsettled and the wasteland areas of your life and flip it around in no time and turn it into something glorious for his cause. Somebody say amen in the house. So I want to ask you a question. Let me ask you, are you in a wilderness right now, spiritually speaking? When I look in the scripture in Luke chapter 4, you can go ahead and put the scripture up there, guys. I'm going to read it off the screen. This is the New King James Version. Luke chapter 4, and then I'm going to go ahead and go to verse 14 in just a moment, if you can go ahead and get that verse ready. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Go ahead and jump to 14 if you've got it available, please. Verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power. Everybody say power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. These passages that I just read to you, this is just after Jesus' baptism. Jesus was not baptized like the normal Christian convert. Baptism was a regular practice amongst many people, amongst many faiths, even during the time of Jesus. It was not new. Baptism was nothing new uh, to followers of Jesus. But Jesus' baptism was not pertaining to conversion. His baptism was something pertaining to simply an obedience unto the Father's will. You see, Jesus was determined to do his Father's will in the face of being tempted just like we are in every way. Somebody say amen. For Jesus' baptism, it was his Jordan moment. And let me just stop and say everybody's going to have a Jordan moment in your life. A moment of commitment. A moment of consecration to the Father's will. That's exactly what his baptism was. When you read the scripture and you see how Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and, and, and the Spirit descended upon him and the Father spoke from heaven, it was a time of commitment. It was a time of Jesus literally consecrating himself to his Father's will. And each of us We'll have a moment in our life where we have to determine if we are or we are not going to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. It's your Jordan moment. For Jesus, he made his commitment 
And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's at that moment of commitment for us, not for Jesus, but for us, it says that we are, we are given a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. Why? Because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. It's a moment where we understand that I am created to be counted for purpose. Jesus had a purpose. You would think at such a moment as this in the life of Jesus, he's made his commitment, he's been baptized, the Spirit has descended. You would think at such a moment at that, this high moment where John the Baptist recognizes him as the Lamb of God, where there's multiple witnesses, thousands of witnesses seeing what's going on. You would think at such a high moment like that, that Jesus would have immediately just taken off and went to the temple and started preaching and teaching. But that was not the case. When you jump into chapter 4 in the verse I just read to you, verse 1, immediately after that high moment, the Bible in some versions indicates that the Spirit compelled him, in other words, drove him into the wilderness place, into a wasteland. After such a high, uh, you know, impactful, awesome moment, the Spirit of God drove him into a place of desolation. Drove him into a place of isolation. Drove him into a place where there was virtually no provision. Where he was lonely. And we can go on and on with description. Even Jesus, in his humanity, had to be tested. It was a wasteland. For Jesus, this wasteland, this being driven into the wilderness, was not a wasteland of unbelief because Jesus obviously believed in the Father's purpose and will in his life. But for many people, for many people, many Christians, when opposition comes and it comes at such a level where you feel like you have walked into a wilderness, where you are alone, where there's little provision, where, there's, where you're lonely and all of these things and the trials and the tribulations come, it wasn't the case for Jesus, but for Christians, it can be a place of unbelief if you're not careful. They will, people can know God's will. Christians can know God's will. They can know his plan. They know what they should have and they know what they should do. They have the knowledge of it, but unbelief stops them from accomplishing it. But that's for a different message. Jesus was intentionally tested in the wasteland, in this wilderness, because he had faith. Can I tell you that many people say, well, I'm being tested and I have no faith. Listen, you will be tested if you have faith. The Father will test your faith. You go around claiming to have faith, get ready for the test. You will see just how strong your faith really is. God will test your faith not to break you, but to elevate you. It's a proving ground. And just like in the case of Jesus who was tempted and tried in every way that we are according to Scripture, he came off this high moment in the Jordan and even the Father tested God the Son in the wilderness place. Even Jesus, his faith in the Father was tested. Who are we to think we won't be? Come on, somebody. Who are we to think we won't be? Right now, so many people are being shaken. They're being tested. It feels as though you're being driven into a wasteland. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You feel like you're being driven into a wasteland. People are doing their best to hold on to their faith, but unbelief is beginning to creep in. 
This wasteland that God has ordained, it is a proving ground. And let me just give you some good news. Are you ready for some good news? Somebody say amen. It's temporary. Oh, y'all should have shouted right there. Some of you are like, well, amen. No, I should hear an amen, brother, on something like that. It's temporary. This isn't going to last. Let me just stop and say this. COVID and its fallout, it's temporary. It's temporary. Now, let me just say this. It may be a whole lot longer than we want, but it's still temporary. All these restrictions and all the stuff that's going on, it's temporary. The financial hardships that you find yourself in, they're temporary. In Jesus' name, they're temporary. Somebody better receive that today. The sickness and all of the fallout, it's temporary. The wasteland that you find yourself in is determined by either your belief or your unbelief that God is good and that he is for you. Did you get that? God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Listen, we certainly wouldn't orchestrate something like this for ourselves. I don't know anybody that would willingly put themselves into these kinds of circumstances that we're facing as a nation or as individuals, but God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We would not willingly put ourselves into a wasteland. We would not willingly put ourselves into a wilderness experience like what we're going through as a nation, as a world, and as individuals. Frankly, we would promote ourselves and give ourselves a raise. We would pamper ourselves. Come on, somebody. We would say things like this. Well, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm called. You know what? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And we would do whatever we could do to try and make our situation a little bit easier. But God says, mm -mm. I got bigger plans. I got a better way. Even Jesus, sinless Jesus, had to suffer in the wasteland in his wilderness experience. It's a place where decisions are made. Are you getting this? Right now, some of you are making decisions in this pressure that you're under that will impact the rest of your life. Are you hearing me? It's a place of decision. It's a place where character is made. It's a place where God challenges us, but at the same time, you'll see toward the end of this thing, he's going to start encouraging you. It's a place, the scripture says in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 52, but God guided us through the wilderness and wastelands of life. God is guiding this entire thing. He has not removed himself from the picture. These wasteland experiences can happen anywhere. They can happen as a result of a job loss. They can happen as a result of the divorce court. They can happen as the result of a death of a loved one. And it feels like these experiences push you into a realm, into a wilderness that you've never been at before. And sometimes you sit there and you question, God, am I really going to make it out? God, I feel myself slipping. I don't know if I can do this. Listen, God knows exactly where you are. Come on. He knows exactly where you are. You notice that Jesus was alone in his wilderness experience. Often these wilderness experiences, they will be just that. They will be lonely places where God tests you. He puts you under the fire. He puts you under, under the crucible for his glory ultimately. One writer that I, that I referred to, 
in the message says that these experiences that we go through, he referred to it as what he called God's killing field. God's killing field. Some of you say, well, what is a killing field? What do you mean by that? A killing field is a military term. It's defined as a scene of mass killing, such as from a battle or from a massacre. And you say, well, what are you getting at, Josh, in a spiritual sense? I mean to say that God uses these types of experiences, the wilderness experiences, the wasteland experiences of life, as an opportunity for those things that cause you to stumble in your walk for Christ to have an opportunity to die. God takes you into the wilderness to kill off the things in your life that do not belong, that do not need to be there. It's painful. We would not willingly do it. We would not willingly put ourselves into those circumstances. And that's why the scripture says that the spirit compelled. It drives us into these moments. Somebody say amen. amen. Wilderness is a lonely place. It's lonely because it's uninhabitable. Nobody wants to go there. I've been there. And he's right. When you get out of the metropolitan areas and you're driving down the road through some of these, the, these just vast stretches of road and you look off to your left and right and you see nothing but arid mountains and you say, why? Would any, how on earth can this be the land flowing with milk and honey? It doesn't make any sense. But God can bring something out of nothing. Come on, church. It's easy to get lost in the wilderness because you have no point of bearing. And so many people right now are feeling lost. I felt that in my spirit. As I was working on this, I just felt like the Lord said, Josh, so many people feel lost. I'm not talking about necessarily lost in their salvation, but they just feel lost, purposeless. They feel like there's nowhere to go. They don't have anything to shoot for. They don't have anything to aim for. There's also people that feel desolate, in other words, they're just simply in survival mode. They don't even really have any, any great big dreams or plans. They're just simply trying to survive. There, there seems to be no food. There seems to be no water. I come across a story a few days ago. Some of you people may, may have read this. It was on social media. I found it fascinating that people that go into the wilderness and how they can survive, how they can thrive in the midst of seeming desolation. There was a story Back in the 19, later 1930s, there was a Russian family who was part of a religious order. There were two brothers one day that were out working in their yard and a drive-by shooter came by and shot and killed one of the brothers that was out in the yard working. The brother that was alive that was unaffected, he was so scared by this, he was so terrified by this, he grabbed up his family, his wife and two children, and carrying, and it's no exaggeration when I say this, literally carrying what they could in their arms, according to the article I read, they took off into the Russian wilderness. They were, they, they just traped about 150 miles away from any other city, town, village, anything. They went into survival mode because they were afraid of the persecution that was coming at them. Now this was in the late 1930s. Skipping ahead approximately 20 years. There were some Russians that were in a helicopter one day that were searching, viewing the, the land and viewing the terrain to see if it might be a good area to do mining. 
And they're way off in the wilderness and there's all these scientists and all these, uh, uh, you know, mining executives and stuff and they're flying around over the Russian wilderness and they finally decided that they wanted to land and take a break and they found this clearing out in the middle of the wilderness and when they landed, there was this little house. There was this family. And everyone was shocked and they were amazed and and they landed there and they began to see these people. These people that had went into the wilderness had not seen another living soul in over 20 years. They were so isolated. In the meantime of them being there, two more children had been born to the family. Think on that. There were two people that were been, had been born in this time away from the rest of the world that had never laid eyes on anybody else except their family. They had a 400, this family had a 400-year-old Bible that they kept in the family. That was their only reading material. And the story was said that, that, that the young children, the little children, that's what they were taught to read and write on so that when they would speak, they would speak as though they were speaking like somebody 400 years ago. They could barely communicate. And I can go on and on and on with the rest of this story. The point I'm trying to make to you is that this family lived in a desolate, remote area. It even said that they lived, they ate mostly when they couldn't get wildlife, they ate bark off certain trees to survive. The point I'm trying to make to you is, is that you might feel like you are in a wilderness and that you are lonely, that God does not know where you are, but he knows exactly where you are. This family, ultimately, some of them were, were, were brought out of that experience and reintroduced to society. And we sat there and were blown away by this, this story. I certainly was. But the point I'm trying to make to you is God has not forgotten you in your wilderness experience. The point of the wilderness from God's perspective is he begins to weed out. Think on this. He begins to weed out those who want a superficial relationship with him from those who want to know him intimately. The weak will not survive the wilderness. Does the situation that we find ourselves in right now with COVID, with the economy, with the restrictions, does it sound like something God would use as a wilderness to test us? What has the past seven months of wasteland experiences done to you? Better yet, what have they done for you and your walk with Christ? Think of it in those terms. It's in the wilderness that you learn to cast all of your cares on him because you have nowhere else to go. Do you realize that? How many of you went through a wilderness experience in your life? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. Of course we have. And it's when you go through these seasons that God puts you into a position to where you realize you really are all I have. God, you really are all I have. It's in the wilderness where God says, I have you right where I want you. It's in the wilderness wastelands that God will give you revelation. The wasteland is where God is preparing you for what is to come in your life and your calling for your future, for your family and for this nation. The wilderness will make you tough. You don't like it. But it makes you tough because you will, be, you will be opposed by the enemy in your future. People will oppose you. Hell will oppose you. You will oppose you. Come on. If you're not prepared in the day of real struggle, you'll run and God knows it. 
When we jump over to Exodus chapter 13, you'll see the story about how God, how the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and how God could have led the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land by going, the scripture says, through the way of the Philistines. But it goes on to say in that same chapter that God knew they might go back to Egypt if they faced war. So God took them the long way around through the wilderness, through the wasteland, to do something in them to prepare them for their future. Could it be that, that what God is doing in us, in us right now, could it be that God is putting us through a wasteland experience to teach us in our hearts? Listen, you, you, can, you can read about things, you can understand things intellectually, you can, two and two is four, you can make sense of things, but until you go through and experience yourself, your heart will never be tested. And God is testing people's hearts in this day and time. God is weeding out those that are serious from those that are being superficial. And it's going to be scary in the days to come. People that we thought might hang tough would never give up, may give up. And there's going to be people that we thought were only superficial, you'll see them rise to the top. We're in for some crazy times, but God has us right where he wants us. Exodus 15 talks of the bitter waters in the wasteland and God turning it into sweet water. God even tells them, he even tells them in that same chapter, he says, I'm testing you. He just flat out tells them, I'm testing you. God will test us in these wasteland experiences. He goes on to say if they will follow him and his commandments that he will provide for them and he will fight for them. It's in the wilderness that God will also bring comfort to us and we will learn to trust him that the bitter things will become sweet. God is using this pandemic and many other situations that we're going through, this wilderness experience, this wasteland, to train us so that we are no longer circumstance-driven. How many of us are circumstance-driven? I have been circumstance-driven in my life. But though the storm rages, though the wind blows, though the ground shakes, God is getting us to a place to where we learn to trust him. The wasteland can be so tough at times that even the old ways, the old life can look better than where you are. That's when you've got to rely on the promises of God. Lord, I know where I am right now. God, I don't like this. This is tough, but I know what your word says. Lord, I don't like where you have me. I don't like this wasteland. I don't like this time of testing, of trial, but I trust you anyway. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's because of this that your time in the wasteland, it isn't wasted time. It isn't wasted time. Again, look in Luke 4, verse 14. I read it earlier. Notice that the entire time that Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, the devil was trying to get him to do things to make the situation easier, to make the situation better, to make it more convenient. Everybody's like, amen. That's creature comfort. That's what we want. I mean, whenever we're in a hard time, do we not want, do we not want it easier? That's just human nature. And here the devil comes in the midst of this testing, this trial, in the midst of this wasteland. He comes and Jesus is being tempted and tested and all of a sudden the devil comes along. Well, let me make it a little bit easier on you. Let me make it a little more convenient for you. You say, what do you mean? 
Well, Jesus was hungry. He had been fasting all this time. The devil comes along. You know what? If you really are the son of God, just turn that stone into bread. Come on. Just make it easy on yourself. That's what we're all tempted to do in the wasteland experiences of life. The devil comes along and he begins to tell Jesus, he says, you know, all of these kingdoms of the earth, they've been handed over to me. And he's like, Jesus, I know you, you, you've been going through it. You have been tempted. You have been tried. You're being tested. He says, I tell you what. He says, I'm going to make it easy on you. All of these have been given to me. If you'll just worship me, I'm going to give them over to you. How does that sound? Make it easy. Make it convenient. Take the pressure off. But Jesus rejects the devil he rebukes him. Why? To show that we are meant to live differently. We are called to live differently. I'm going to say this. We're not called as Christians to live after a soft, easy, or convenient life. And I hate even saying that because I know that makes me a target of the enemy right there. I'm serious. We're not called to meant that kind of a life, to live that kind of life. We're meant to live by every word that comes from God. Jesus was saying, I'm not going to use my life for my own good, for my own convenience, for my own way of doing things. Jesus said, I might be hungry. He says, I might be weary. I don't like this wasteland. I don't like this wilderness, but it's not about me. God is doing something in me to glorify him and to help others. Right there. Your wasteland is not wasted time. The wilderness shows us for what we really are. Ooh. Ooh, anybody ever watch Bear Grylls? And you get these big tough guys that will go on Bear Grylls and the wilderness shows and, you know, they're phenomenal athletes and they, you know, everybody admires them until Bear Grylls gets them out there. Until he takes them out in the middle of the African wasteland somewhere and they have no clue what's going on. It tests them in a different way than they've ever been tested before. It tests us for what we really are. It shows that we are powerless without God. It shows us that we are hopeless without God. It shows us that we are directionless without God, that we have no strength. But because of him and with him, we have everything we need. The wilderness experience can feel like, as one pastor said, he called it a place of persecution and prosecution. Can I tell you that's where the church is right now? In America, around the world, there's more Christians being persecuted and prosecuted collectively in this day and age than there ever has been in times past. We're living in that day and time where I even hate to say this, but even in America, if you're a Christian, it's going to make you a pariah. It's going to make you a flat-out criminal one day if you ain't careful. You say, oh, that couldn't happen here, folks. Come on. The wilderness, a place of persecution and prosecution. And it's not just the churches, but that's where many Christians are right now, where they feel like all hell has assailed them, where all hell has come against them. But God, he will bring you out. The Bible says in Matthew 24, that same chapter I quoted to you earlier in the message, it says, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. Endurance. How many of you are in this thing for the long haul? Long haul. Everybody wants 
instant results. Everybody wants to see quick return on their investment. Well, I got saved yesterday, so all life should be great today. We're in this thing for the long haul. You got to endure. Scripture says endure like a good soldier. We don't like to endure. I don't like to endure. But that's what we're called to do. The reason the wilderness experience is so important is because when the voice of the enemy comes against us to tempt us and war against us, you will not give in when it matters most. Why? Because you've already been there, you've already dealt with that. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 30, I think it's verse 30, he makes this statement. This is well into his ministry. He makes a statement where he, and I'm paraphrasing now, I can't remember exactly, it says, he says basically that the devil has no foothold in my life. You know why the devil had no foothold in his life? Because the devil, or Jesus dealt with the devil in the wilderness. He had done stomped his head. Yeah, he had his Jordan River experience. Yes, he was baptized in the River Jordan. Yes, the Spirit descended. But Jesus was already tested and tried in the wilderness. He had already thumped his head in terms of his life's ministry purpose in the wilderness before he ever really even started ministry. And here's my point, is that when you step out into your life, into your call, whatever that may be, what it, you know, taking care of your family, working your job, whatever it may be, let it be said of us that as we endure that the devil has no foothold with me. He has no foothold. What a wonderful testimony that could be said of Christians. We know we're not sinless. I'm not saying we we're sinless. But wouldn't it be awesome where we could literally know in and of our, our spirits, ourselves, that the devil just, he has no ground with me. So that when it does come in, when trial does come in, because I've already had my wasteland experience, I can handle whatever he throws by the grace of God. Jesus proved that in so many places, but certainly in the wilderness. So what about you? I'm about to bring it to a close. Your wasteland experience, your wilderness experience, it's a proving ground. It's a proving ground. I like to watch videos. Luke likes to watch videos of trucks, of these new trucks that come out on the market. These different companies will, you know, get a new design, they'll get a new engine, they'll get a new body style, and, and before the companies will put these vehicles out on the market, they have to go through a proving ground. They have to go through a time of testing, you know, and Luke and I watch these videos all the time and, and we see these new trucks that are coming out and how they'll take a truck 80 mile an hour going over these whoops and it's just giving it this and they're testing it and they're testing the durability in the engine and they'll put it on a dyno to see how, many, how much horsepower and how long can it go without putting oil in the engine, who really does that? But anyway, I mean, they just do all these silly tests to see what it can endure, and if it passes the test, if it passes the test, the company is proud to put it on the market. But if it doesn't pass the test, it says, nope, nope, we got, we got to fix this, we got to take care of this, we got to pull it back before we put it out there. And can I just stop and say, that's what God does to us. That's what God does with us. It's a proving ground. It's a time of testing. The wilderness will change you. Get this in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. Here's what happens. So Jesus, 
He's been baptized in, in Luke 3. He comes up out of there. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness. Now let's jump ahead in verse 14 of chapter 4. And this is what it says. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Only when you have been tested and come through your wilderness will you really have power. That was when Jesus was able to step out into ministry in such a way that he could deal and handle with whatever came at him. He had the power after the test. Now we know he was full of the Spirit before that, but it wasn't really put into unction and full force until after time of testing. Church, I want to tell you, God knows exactly where you are. Somebody say amen. amen. He knows exactly where you are. Do you love the Lord? Raise your hand if you love the Lord. You're saved. You're sanctified. You love Jesus. You know that he loves you. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. It may last longer than you want. It may not be what you want. But God says it's what you need. Why? Because God says, I've got something in mind for you. I've got something in mind for you. This time in the wasteland experience, it's only temporary, but it's not a waste of time. In it, God strips you of pride and he replaces it with humility. You're brought to a place where he and he alone is your altogether sufficient one. Somebody say amen. We as a nation, we as a church, maybe you as an individual... Today, you might find yourself in one of those experiences. But in it, he is allowing some things to die. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a different man than what I was seven months ago. I'm different. Hopefully, you're different. Different for the good. Come on, somebody. In 2013... My dad, my sister, Jim Arrington, we went to Israel. I mentioned this earlier. I know I'm, I'm, I'm rehashing a little bit of this. We went to Israel. That was my second trip. You know, for me to travel somewhere like that, that would be the trip of a lifetime. And uh, there's so much history, you know, so much spiritual significance to literally walk in the place and see things and see things that Jesus himself Saw. It just, you know, it just brings things home, so to speak. It connects the heart and the head, in my opinion. And it's, when I go back and I, I think about the things that Jesus saw and what he witnessed and, and just the country itself and how desolate it is in many ways, it's strange to see so much life, so much innovation, so much productivity out of a land that on first appearance can seem like nothing but a wasteland. I remember we were driving down the road, and, and Amy's here. She may remember this. I don't know if Jim's here or not. I haven't seen him today, but maybe they'll remember this. We're on the tour bus, and we would be going down the roads, and to your right and to your left would be these fields of, of orange groves and uh, banana trees and all this kind of stuff, and just acres and acres and acres out of sand. I mean, it would just look like sand, and they're growing these, you know, forests and everything out of there, and I'm just like, what on earth? And they, they would, 
they would take these nets. I'm not, I'm not joking you. They would take nets and they would run them over the tops of the trees to keep the varmints out and, you know, from the ground, keep the varmints out and the birds and everything to protect them for like entire 40-acre fields. They would do this. And everywhere you would go, you would just see life. You would just see productivity in the middle of a wasteland. And it amazed me to see this, this wild, this untamed, you know, uh, uninhabitable desert type place. People are thriving in the middle of that. And I want to tell you, you can be in the middle of your wasteland, you can be in the middle of your wilderness and you can thrive. God's going to bring you out of it. He's going to bring some good out of that situation. Just as he did it for them, he will do it for you. I'm going to ask everyone to stand if you would, please.